And good morning and welcome to the old school. This is Ross Miller with Hair Dr. Stephen Bourgeois. Uh, podcast is a podcast over educational issues, the American education system, the problems therein, and possible solutions. And so far as we know the solutions to those problems, it could be that there are no solutions. It's just we're just screwed, I guess. But nevertheless, we'll, we'll try nevertheless. Uh, good morning, Hair Dr. Bourgeois. Good morning. Hey, Miller, uh, we're, we're, we're screwed in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> we can cut that or probably not. Uh. <laughs> well, how are you doing? Happy 4th of July. Thank you. Um, same to you. Um, I'm very happy to celebrate the national holiday by cooking hot dogs tomorrow. You're, 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 the words say something positive, but the tone suggests a level of sarcasm and disinterest that kind of belies the actual meaning of the words you used. What's your issue with the Fourth of July? <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Don't uh, you love America? Come on now, um, you, you know I do. It's uh, Independence Day. I'm, I'm just saying that I'm not uh, excited about any holiday, um, the Fourth included, and so they're they're all relatively low in my priorities but i enjoy cooking a hot dog i enjoy turning to espn and watching the great joey chestnut uh, eat you know dozens and dozens and even almost a hundred hot dogs in a short time that's always the highlight for me what is wrong with you <laughs> excuse me what is wrong with you i said other than it said that as long as you give the people circuses and bread they're 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 happy they're content they're they're uh, they're malleable uh, is that basically what you're admitting to here you're saying you've never watched joey chestnut i have never watched joey chestnut i find the whole exercise of that ridiculous who would do that well it's it's coney island what could be more um american than joey chestnut on coney island you know, the idea of it in and of itself is offensive enough, but the fact that people like Joey Chestnut consider themselves athletes and consider their achievements important, both from a societal point of view, but also maybe from a philosophical point of view, I find that abhorrent. Well, I think it, it's, it is. I mean, they train for it and, and it's a physical contest. I'm, you know, I mean, if you consider chess athletics, a lot of people consider that a sport. Um, what, what could be more athletic than than gulping down? They don't eat the hot dogs on a bun like you and I do. Uh, they actually eat them separate. They'll eat about five or six uh, hot dogs very quickly. Then they'll dump their bun into water, and you know it keeps the pace up. So it, it's 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 really a sport. Do you understand the ridiculousness of what you just detailed? <laughs> so, well, I, I can appreciate that you might like it, but do you also not at the same time appreciate just how ridiculous it is? No. I, I mean, do you really think that Joey Chestnut is going to take that hot dog and put some mustard on it and you know, chow down that way? That would slow, slow down the, the event and he'd never get over 30 in that time period. Well, first of all, at least he'd be a gentleman about it, you know, put some mustard on it, maybe some onions or what have you. But I mean, let's let's make it let's make it what it's supposed to be. You're, you're boiling it down to elements that do not have any meaning separate from the other stuff. I mean, I just don't see how you take that seriously. Well, I, I do um, think that we agree that there are some things that should not be on a hot dog. <laughs> uh, and, and ideally, it's it's mustard and nothing else. Some, some onions would, would work. There's the, the Chicago dog, which is a different thing, but it's definitely tripped up. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on the hot front. dog? 
It's, well, an, affront. it's an affront. I think that's the word you're looking for. It's an affront. Oh, I love a Chicago dog. You're saying you, you won't eat one when in Chicago. We, we we've been in Chicago together. Yes. When you're in Chicago, you do as the Romans do. But <laughs> it here the problem with here's the problem with Chicago in general. The whole city is they have a, they have a collective inferiority complex, and so to counteract that, they have tricked up and they have made ridiculous things where the beauty lies in the simplicity you know a hot the beauty of a hot dog is the simplicity of a single strip of yellow mustard and some onions maybe but then to pile onto that corachons or or, or relish uh, of the likes of which a color does not exist in nature i mean what <laughs> i mean what do you even do with that tomato slices it's just too much I mean, the hot dog is meant to be simple. And so anybody who tries to trick it up is really just, they're, they're not getting it. And the pizza thing, I'm not going to, it's not a pizza. Their pizza is not, it's a casserole. I mean, I'm not even <laughs> going to talk about the pizza, but. Uh, well, well the, the the thing is, you you actually enjoy eating both of them. I've seen you eat the Chicago dog in three bites and, and wanted <laughs> another one. And the, the pizza you eat as well, just don't call it pizza. It, that's right. That's right. It, it, yeah, it's delicious. I'm just not going to call it a pizza. That's you know? right. And the same thing with the, with that dog. Just call it something else. It's a, it's a sausage. Whatever. Hey. What are you, you going to do with it? So, uh, <laughs> well, what else, Hammerler? Is that is that our our podcast for today? Are we going a little bit further? Yeah, that's it. Good night, everybody. Uh, have a great week. We'll see you. Oh no. <laughs> um, now, one of the things that was brought up. Uh, tangentially last week or maybe the week before had to do with STEM education. And I think as products, the two of us being products of humanities based curriculum, I think it, I think it behooves us to make the case for the humanities, because I think, I think there is a very lopsided attention paid to our fine brothers and sisters in the math and science departments very fine people, nothing wrong with the disciplines in and of themselves. But I think we could all agree that there is a, uh, there, there is an emphasis on STEM that in the process belittles humanities. And I think that's something that needs to be corrected. So you're, you're talking about at the middle school, high school level, and it, it's too early to, Put all your chips into STEM, and maybe the students need something else at that time. Well, yeah, and we, like I said, we touched on this last week, but I think the beauty of the public school is a free avenue by which to explore your interests. And I don't care if a student picks math or science, but I what bugs me is the seemingly dismissiveness that seems to be directed towards the arts, towards literature, towards history. I think that's problematic, and I think there needs to be a case made for, at the very least, an equal treatment of those subjects. Well, you mentioned the arts um, in elementary schools. Uh, at least the ones that I visited, they they refer to courses in the arts, music, um, uh, painting, whatever it is, as specials. And yes. They, and it put, they usually put it in scare quotes. Um, <laughs> because What does that uh, mean? <laughs> uh, well, it, it means that it's something that's not 
tested basically and uh they they do it to keep keep people happy and it's really not that different than than recess you know in 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 their minds but but they have to do it or the the students will be bogged down with too many math problems in a day so it's it's a it's a break is what it is and the problem is is that that attitude matriculates up through to the high schools Mm -hmm. where you know well, you know the story, but we have new listeners every day. I think there's one more today. But uh, but there used to be something called History Alive, which was a program designed to charge students' interest in history. Uh, but all it really did was it made it ridiculous. You know, it, it, it attempted to bring a play element to the study of history that is better suited for maybe first grade uh, and the, the one, the one lesson that, that, uh, that sticks with me the most, that scars me the most is a teacher having her students get into, well, put the desk like in close proximity to one another in two rows. And then the kids like in between, like sitting down on the floor, like they're in a trench in world war one. And then she's playing like bombshell explosions and gunfire, what have you. This is in and high I, school. This is in high school. And you would think that a 14, 15, 16 year old kid would have enough mental acuity to not need that particular form of instruction to imagine potentially how horrific uh, being in a trench in World War One would be. Because I tell you what doesn't teach a kid how horrific being in a trench in World War One could be. That's being on the floor in between two rows of desks while your teacher plays bloody bomb burst and gunfire and what have you can you imagine that today you know so when did this happen gunfire because <laughs> i i'm sure the, the teacher would be fired today if they did something like that for all kinds of re- when did this occur did this happen to you personally well no i was i was privy to it because um people were taking us around to different classrooms who were exemplifying lessons found within the history of life curriculum and so I was subjected to this in kind of a secondary sort of way, uh, watching kids. You could see the looks on their faces. They felt stupid. They felt stupid. I, when when I, was this? Give me a year. When did this happen? 98, 97, 98. Okay. So you're old, basically. I, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Now, is his, his history alive, alive now? Uh, I hope not. I have not, I've not heard it like many things in education, uh, programs come and go with great regularity. So, I mean, I think, I think history alive had its 15 minutes and then people thought, man, this is stupid or man, man, there's something else down the pike we can do. Um, and so like a lot of other things, it kind of goes by the wayside, uh, uh, indicative of how capricious the ideas are to begin with. But, um, um, yeah, if you got a serious idea and it doesn't, it doesn't last two or three years, that's a pretty good sign. Your idea wasn't that serious, you know? So, um, but, um, but yeah, this is a long time ago. Well, well, let's, um, explore the liberal arts a little bit here. Uh, why do you think it is that, I mean, even teaching the liberal arts directly, you know, is not doing what we would like. We're, we're not creating, and we're having a, a course in English, you know, whatever that means, literature, right. language, English, 
yeah. but what what happens is we're creating a generation or many generations now of of students and and then adults who really despise reading. Um, so so how do you know, even taking it on directly and forget about STEM for a minute? Why aren't we successful in the liberal arts? Because it has no emphasis, it has no supporters beyond people like us. The, the, kids, the kids experience no encouragement to read. You know, James Madison once said, let the, let the gates of knowledge be set loose and the sluice of knowledge pour out or what have you. But wasn't it Huxley that said that the more information that we get, we will eventually censor ourselves and we will basically eliminate stuff because there's just too much stuff out there. And it's hard to it's it's hard to uh, uh, discriminate against what's worthy of knowing, what's not worthy of knowing. And so what you have is you have people that are, um, you know, you have people that are basically functional illiterates. I mean, because they, they, they have been taught the mechanics of reading, but they've not been taught the love of reading. And, and in the problem, and that's a, that's a huge problem. Who cares if by teaching the mechanics, the kids do well on a standardized test, if they don't learn to love the idea of reading. And I, you know, and, and like I said, we have the rebel readers we talked about last week, but I, I think that they are right now, they are a pretty small minority. And I, I think that we we do the act of reading both in a leisurely and also a content-wise, we do it a disservice by how we treat it and how we emphasize it. So the idea of the, the medium is the message. In this case, you know, the methodology is the message because, you know, in a course where they're studying a text, often they're trying to draw out really discrete points from that text you know not so not approach it um, as as art first mm. of all it, it's how do you come up with the, the really basic things you know about about plot and character and, and but to take it to a deeper level um, sitting in a class with 20 30 students it's, it's really hard and i'm not you know complaining about english teachers they have an impossible task and, and they have a test Indeed. hanging above their head yeah. And so they're behaving in a, in a way that, first of all, they're, they're asked to, to teach in that way. But um, there's not a lot of solutions to that because clearly for most students, you know, there are the, the, the exceptions. Um, they're not generating the, the love of reading or ideas, quite frankly, that, yeah. that they might have in, a, in something that we would envision. Well, because the utility of reading is only emphasized within public schools for the grade that comes at the conclusion. Right. And even the notion of a grade, you know, suggests that, listen, you only have to do this until you get to the grade and then there's really no reason to do it outside of it. You know, the, everything we do de-emphasizes, and this is a broader topic and I don't wanna go down this path necessarily, but I mean, everything we do emphasizes a lack of necessity for the individual components like reading, like learning, like enjoying things, like enjoying exploring things, you know? Um, and so, yes, I mean, I, and I agree with you. I think the English teachers like the rest of us have an impossible task. How do you formulaically instill any kind of love in what you love as a teacher? 
when everything that you love as a teacher has been condensed to a couple of questions on a standardized test? How do you do that? You know, the, the STEM people will mm-hmm. tell you that it's about a monetization. I mean, they won't say that directly, but that's basically what a lot of the emphasis on STEM is about is a monetization of what the kid can, can achieve outside of school. You know, there's nothing there's, you know, there, there's, and that's one of the reasons why humanities have taken it in the shorts in the last 50 years is because strangely enough, <laughs> you can't be rich as a history teacher or as a lover of history or as a lover of music or a lover of art. You know, that's why you have these damn struggling artists uh, markets and, and, and fairs and, and what have you, because everyone's struggling, you know. And so there's nothing societally that trumpets humanity, certainly not at the level of mathematicians or scientists or doctors or, you know, whatever the case may be. But Well, I think we can make the case <clears throat> that there is value to learning how to think and to read and to write, to communicate, to, to speak. Uh, even in, in you know, particularly in the business world, um, you know, I, I, I have spoken to a lot of business leaders, and and you know, what what's missing besides motivation for employees at, at all levels, uh, being a, you know, being on time, being a self starter, actually being engaged, is the inability to to think, to be creative, think outside of the box. Even though I hate mm-hmm. that term. Um, but to to communicate, to get along with people, to read and, and to present information, all, all of those are skills that you don't develop necessarily by doing math problems, but you right. you do it through through the liberal arts. Mm-hmm. So you think about a liberal arts education in say 1790. 1790 in the United States, we had a handful of universities, mostly in the uh, in the Northeast. Uh, the New England areas, you had a couple of schools like the University of North Carolina, I think uh, William and Mary in the South, but uh, for the most part, most of the universities were in the North. These are the Ivy League schools of today. So in a university liberal arts education back in those days, think about the kind of things that were discussed and were, you know, certainly science had a place, what have you, but language. This is your uh, raison d'etre. I mean, have you ever had to have a conversation about the importance of language instruction? And, and, and how do you make that argument to someone who may not necessarily have an ear for it? Uh, language instruction has also been marginalized. I, I would group it in with those specials, unfortunately. Sure. Um, and, you know, and I, obviously I was a language teacher and, and what happens is, is you don't take students that far, typically. Mm. So they get a couple of, years of, of Spanish or German, whatever, and, and really didn't learn a lot, but just some memorized phrases. Mm. And, and the the rule out there, the, the pithy saying is that to learn a little bit of a language uh, is really fun, but to learn a lot of it is a lot of work. And so they right. never get into that, um, that side. But I, I think, you know, language would be grouped, you know, with those specials to some extent, which is, again, uh, unfortunate. Um, but what it's like, the, it's like the father Guido Sarducci five minute university kind of thing. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're only taught what you remember five years later, you know. Yeah, wouldn't like, talk the gates, <laughs> and then that's it, you graduate, you're done. <laughs> well, you know, and as a German teacher, it comes up in a few, you know, when I have conversations with or I meet somebody and they say, Oh, yeah, I studied German, and I'll start speaking to them, and they'll just kind of 
shrink and, and turn red and say, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> I was ready for the, at least a response to the next yeah. probe. Um, well, think back, you were, you were talking about, you know, European education a little bit. And right. even to this day, there, you know, there's a methodology, say, at Oxford. I mean, weren't you at Oxford? I did. <laughs> well, to say it in that way makes it sound like I, uh, I was accepted and studied at Oxford. But no, during my master's degree, I was accepted to a scholarship where I got to study at Oxford Exeter College, actually, okay. uh, for a summer. So, okay. yes. Well, um, let me run <clears throat> run something by you because I I've been doing a little bit of reading on you know the, it's called the Oxford tutorial system. Are you familiar with it? Uh, no. Did you do show prep? I, I, I'm. You mentioned that, that we had a little bit of discussion of liberal arts, and I thought you, know, you and I have talked about everything already. So why not bring something you haven't heard of before? All right, let's hear it. So, okay. So it's just a list. Uh, okay. Imagine this here, Miller. Uh, a teacher and between one to three students. Mm. So that's that's your group. It's a it's a weekly meeting, uh, maybe every two weeks, but ideally weekly. Um, the students are are assigned a reading, mm -hmm. and they produce a, a short essay, short, concise, to the point. Okay. Uh, when they get to that group meeting, the students all read their essays out loud. That's mm -hmm. part of the methodology. Really, like the protocol method in, in seminars at, at universities, they they do that also. Right. Um, the rest of the meeting is is a open discussion, and ideally, it's student to student. You know, the 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 tutor or the teacher is is involved, but but really, you want to hear the, the students talk. So it's a it's a method that just continues. But here's the part that you'll like. Um, by definition or by rule, it's never graded. None of this seminar has any grade attached, which has some benefits, certainly. Mm -hmm. um, ideally, they, they're reading you know, the, the great books, um, but the, you know, not redacted, not shortened versions of it, but the, the whole thing, if, if possible. Um, and that's it. That's as, that's as far as it goes. But it's a, you know, an idealized conversation, reading, writing. It's a discipline. You think about can this be implemented in schools? Yeah, if people want to, you know, it, it could actually be a whole curriculum, quite frankly. But I, I read about it. And I thought, well, that that's pretty idealized, but that, but it hits on a lot of a lot of points that might be worth pursuing. Well, I was thinking about it. Of course, it would never fly in the day to day rigmarole that makes up the high school classroom. But how cool would it be? If a teacher offered their students something like this outside of the regular framework of the school day, right? But maybe before school or after school, because is there anything in there that de demeans or uh, discards the importance of learning, they discards the importance of thinking? There is nothing in there. And you, we talked about it before, about how much enters into the American classroom that either intentionally or not uh, uh, kind of dismisses the importance of learning. Right. And now here we have something in this pure, unadulterated form that can only be described as a, as a kind of the epitome of what a learning, a true learning experience might be. 
And it almost makes me want to try it this year, you know, and maybe we can come back and revisit this, see if this was something that would be possible to try. Again, it would have to be something that exists outside the school day. And by definition, it probably will only be appealing to a handful of students. But but then again, that would be the appropriate size that you're dealing with there. But to be able to take something and say, let's do this, let's let's really let's really accomplish something here. Let's really try to uh, enjoy the notion of learning something or reading something and discussing it for its own sake. Well, I agree. And I think it's, it's something that could be executed. Um, I've, I've done something on a different scale. You know, mm. I mentioned a philosophy club where students would, would read, meet in a coffee shop or something and discuss, but Quite frankly, the discussion included, you know, myself, you know, with about forty to fifty percent of the talking, uh, mm-hmm. and then maybe two or three um, outgoing students. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the beauty of having, you know, a, a small maybe two or three, I think three feels about right, uh, is that the students would talk, um, mm-hmm. and and, the, and that's the, the key. And um, having no grade attached, you know, that that will get people s- scratching their head. Mm-hmm. And, and and for a while, the students say, wait a minute, I should be spending this time preparing for my AP biology test. I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, yes. I'm reading you know, Aristotle uh, <laughs> with, with, with Mr. Miller. Uh, but but we would say that you, you know, by reading Aristotle with, with Mr. Miller, uh, you'll probably do better on that biology, te- biology test also because you're learning to read and think and write. Um, so there, there are a lot of benefits, um, but again, if, if it's not assessed, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's the battle. Can can right. something like that be pulled off? Um, I think it can. I think it, it's more conducive to a, a private school without right. that state test. But why not? You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you know. I, I think you talk about the idea that learning Aristotle would help a kid do better on a biology test, and, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that the kid is not thinking in a kind of a uh, a uniform sort of way. You know, one of the arguments that I've made about history and one of the arguments I've made about traveling as you and I have both been um, uh, both together and separately, we have, we have led many groups of students overseas. You know, um, Kipling said, what do they know of England who only England knows? I mean, the, 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 the essence of studying history, the essence of traveling um, is a different way of thinking and it's a different way of thinking that's organic and ergo applicable and um, it is something that can see immediate effects of the benefits of it you know but even just the joy of doing it you know i had a student I was teaching a, uh, a on-level or regular world history class. I had a student at one time asked me, why are we learning about fill-in-the-blank people? And my first reaction was, who are you to say that someone's not worth learning about? But the second thing is, is that it's the idea that through language, through travel, through history, the very act of these endeavors teaches a student to think differently, to assess differently to expose themselves to different ways of seeing problems, of seeing solutions, of seeing life, you know? I think the very essence of the humanities is an exercise in being able to think 
in a multifaceted sort of way? Well, if you jump to universities in, in, in Europe, um, there's a foundational knowledge that's really expected. And, and so those students tend to specialize right out of the gate. You know, they're going to study law or whatever, whatever their, their field is. Right. And so, you know, in American universities, we all have, we have all these survey courses that are requirements, you know, take English one, English two, history, mm -hmm. whatever it is. But they've covered that to some extent. They've, they've really go, you know, with the, and that's, I think that's why we enjoy talking to German high school students because they're much more literate. Uh, but that foundation, you know, has to help uh, in, mm -hmm. in so many ways. But I, it, makes, I want, it makes them not just literate; it makes them more interesting. That's right. Yeah, which is even more important. You know, we want to mm -hmm. have have a lunch or dinner with one of these students. We want them to be able to hold court and mm -hmm. bore us to death. Right. But I was wondering when, when we were talking about you know reading specifically and and how we just test the reading love out out of students. You know, not all at once, but year after year, and eventually, um, nobody wants to read anything you know particularly great literature you know they, they've, they've they've been turned off but mm. how about this for a study a okay. study on the effectiveness of high school english teachers and my wife will love this <laughs> probably not <laughs> um, what if you took one of the i mean there are a couple books probably you could list even more that all students carry around which i find really depressing they're all carrying around the lord of the flies uh, or <laughs> a tale of two cities okay Great. And there are a few others that they just have to read and students really don't get excited about but they do it. What would happen if the English teacher was given the Lord of Flies? Teach it for three chapters. Okay. Yeah. So, so you do your best to get them excited three chapters. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Then you move on maybe to Tale of Two Cities or whatever else you, you're, you're supposed to read. Um, get to the end of the school year because this was a fall um, study. Um, and then you assess the students, you know, just an anonymous test. Did you finish The Lord of the Flies? Did you actually take that book and read it to its end because you were captured by it? Yes or no? And, okay. And what kind of, I mean, just you can hypothesize what kind of completion rate, you know, would we expect from the, the, the students who are in 10th grade at your school? Uh, if the category "Not a Chance in Hell" uh, was, <laughs> was, was on the list of options, that would probably be the one most checked. So, so why do you think that is? I, I, I just think that the idea of doing your best for three chapters to try to understand something. I mean, it's like well, you're, you're asking the student to to. I don't know. It's like you're 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 leading them, but you're not really providing any other additional kind of motivation, or you're not instilling any kind of additional love for it. You're just taking it on the. It's like it's like reading cliff notes. You might as well have just read the cliff notes of each one of those books and say, you know, which one of y'all uh, did that? I don't know. I mean, ma maybe you're sounding like a school administrator now, <laughs> and you disappoint me. But yeah. you know, a, a student who reads the exposition of, of a novel. You know, mm -hmm. she's caught by the novel itself and want to know what happens to these these kids on the island. You know, right. <laughs> you know they're they're being mean to each other. How's it going to all end? Right. They should just have to finish it. You know, right. and and maybe the the teacher has this little speech at the end saying, "We're we're going to stop here. I hope you are interested. You know, and and I encourage you 
um, to read it, but there's, you know, we're, we're not going to be tested on it anymore and just mm -hmm. stop talking and, and see what happens. But I, I, I would say cool to, it'd be kind of cool to see how that would unfold. Well, I plan to do the study actually. I did. I just mm -hmm. thought of it, but cause it could be set up, at, you know, in a control group situation. Mm -hmm. there, there are ways to, to make it even more interesting. Cause when you do a study like that, you need a, a couple of things that you're comparing ideally. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I wonder so. if it could be of the same degree as the person who would choose to be part of a an Oxford tutorial mm -hmm. the session with Mr. Miller. Because I, I, yeah. I think, because you were talking about the fact that the reality of school would ultimately probably impede a majority of the folks from following up on some of this stuff. You know, and so I think, you know, I think it runs the same risk. Do you agree or no? Um, what, what did you call those kids who always have a book? I like the name. What is it? The Rebel Readers. The Rebel Readers would, would be signing up yes. for, for our, our tutorial class, definitely. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe, you know, some of the athletes and the, the people who are grade mongers have, have actually, they're, they're more complicated than we give them credit. I think that's actually true. I mean, I sure. have, um, you know, high school age and older myself. Um, I would suggest that at that age, particularly, you know, during adolescence and as they grow through high school, um, students at that level are really dying to have conversations. Yes. Heavy con conversations about life and death and, and big questions. You know, they're, they're, they're ripe for it. I think they're not just ripe for it, but I think they also understand intuitively that their education experience is lacking. Mm hmm they understand the shortcomings of it. Now they may buy into it because it is the reality that's pushed upon them by their parents or by friends or by, you know, teachers or whatever the case may be. But every time this has come up in conversation in my class, it is something that the students seem to have an intuitive sense of. Yeah. They may be good at the rigmarole. They may be good at the system, but they don't like it. And matter of fact, it's probably more likely that they don't like school because of what they recognize as the shortcomings of the system. And so, you know, maybe I, I maybe I think you're spot on. I think there is a hunger there. The question is, is there an availability for it? You know, where the kid feels like they can do it, you know, where they 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 could make the time to do it. Uh, it doesn't have to be a lot of time. I and mean, we're talking about doing right. reading, a, a really mm -hmm. short um, writing sample that they read out loud, mm -hmm. and have a conversation, but the benefits would have to outweigh it. And, you know, quite often, you know, like in the, the movie, The Color of Money, the, the line is that, that the money's throwing you off your game. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so the, the idea of a, a grade is, is throwing them off their, their game. They're not going to have the same conversation with that teacher who's assessing them as they would with somebody who's you know tasked to to push them intellectually because mm -hmm. uh, the success of that you know that tutoring uh, system um, is really it rests with the the tutor mm -hmm. you know, are, are they just going to be real careful and 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 acknowledge oh that that was a good statement are they going to you know take them apart kind of like you do in history class where you're actually listening carefully and you're challenging them with additional questions right. and telling them when they're off off base and, and making them um, kind of confront you intellectually. Right. Well, yeah, one of the first things we talk about in class when I start the school year 
is that those people who say there's no such thing as a dumb question are idiots. You know, there's, there's plenty of dumb questions and there's dumb statements. Uh, but if there's comfort to be taken is the fact that we all are guilty of it from time to time. So just accept it, deal with it, move on and do better the next time, you know? And so uh, there's no shame in the failure. And that that's one of the other things I think that has to be taught is, you know, I think we speak so much about the shame of failure. We encourage kids to take a route where failure is not possible. Where in the, so they don't, they're not taking risk. They're not, um, uh, they're not taking chances. And um, th- this goes beyond uh, the topic of the day. But I, th- but I think that one of the things that can be learned from history that can be learned from the humanities is the, is the idea that failure is not shameful. That failure is actually a part of the process, you know, and, and, and it's, it's the same thing with language acquisition. Uh, you know, you and I both speak other languages and it has been said of me that one of my strengths as far as learning a language is my willingness to make a fool out of myself. That's true. You're, you're yeah, really good at that. <laughs> 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 but just to put yourself in a situation where you're likely going to fall on your face, but yet there's still something that can be learned from that exercise. It's the beauty of the humanities, I think. Definitely. And, and those are always the, the best language students, the ones who really don't care, but they'll, they'll try, they'll play with the language and look, look silly, but they're actually learning through mm-hmm. looking silly. And maybe that's the, the essence of the curriculum. Um, we're, we're so, worried about discomfort in the classroom yes um teachers are paralyzed you know when there's an awkward moment um and i guess an experienced teacher who's really good can turn that around but but that fear there's fear of of so many things there's a a classroom is is full of fear you know Mm -hmm. by by everybody and they and they get through it by having a real tight syllabus and tight uh, assessments and assignments and grades and this and this allows people to there's no awkwardness about that Mm -hmm. Um, but what we're proposing it would be difficult difficult questions and and hard conversation you know not just uh, affirming everything that the the kid says Mm -hmm. yeah i i was just thinking about the idea of failure and how what students relationship with failure is you know, and I'm reminded of the fact that often because here we are at the beginning of July, which is when AP scores come out. They'll probably come out in the next few days or so. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had kids apologize to me for failing a test. I oh. said, I said, you might is you might as well apologize for eating. I mean, everyone fails something. I mean, it, it, the the failure does not define you. This and this is the other thing they think in their head that in my mind, their failure of the AP exam is shaping what I think of them. And to me, it, it's, it's uh, symptomatic of kind of our general relationship with failure and, and how we look at it. But you know, I, t- I tell students all the time, your failure does not define you. What you do with that failure defines you. I mean, but the idea of failing, it's, it's so human, it's almost trite to talk about it. I mean, I, I don't understand why you would focus on it. Um, but, you know, we're drum beating our kids on this mentality that I don't think it's helpful. And I think it's part of it is because of the motivation behind it, i.e. STEM. Um, 
and I think that that's where humanities can save us a little bit. I mean, I, I do not, I do not um, advocate an emphasis on humanities. I, I, I suggest that all of us share an equal role in the sphere of education. You know, my my brothers and sisters in science and math, and you know, but as well as my my compadres in English and language arts and foreign languages and music and you know what have you. I think we all have an equal share in this in this in this role that we play. Um, I just I wish there was a different kind of way that we looked at it. Well, we probably need to address STEM, and and we've you know we we kind of got into STEM at the very beginning, then shifted, right? And it was a much more pleasant conversation because we would have been uh, attacking uh, every one of those four letters, and and and, <laughs> and 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 now we've laid a foundation why they important they may be. Um, mm-hmm. You can't really do any of that if you can't read and write and think, right? And talk. Um, so there it is. We've 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 made another. So we have like two two shows we've already proposed. One is to talk to elementary teachers, which we'll never do. I don't think you're going to be able to collect <laughs> people enough who like you enough to get on here. Uh, and then the other is for us to bash STEM, which we we do that every day anyway. So that'll be easy. But I think it's important. I, I think people are too quick to lay the label of Luddite or you know honest and to me they're not listening because to me it's not a question of each one of those letters in and of themselves it is the emphasis that's placed on it it is what is expected from it and how they view everything else in the ether that's the problem you know is if someone is just geeked up about math, God bless them, go for it. I mean, do, do do whatever it is that you want that you want to do, and but don't tackle it as if nothing else matters, because I think that you're shortchanging yourself greatly when you do that. I think of all classes that require some type of extrinsic motivation, namely grades and tests, um, math. Uh, would would be the the one that stands out. You know, mm. take take that away. You know, students are competing in math to to get grades, but can you get actual interest in math? If so, I, you know, that's a a great teacher. Yes. Uh, you know, to to you know independently want to do more math than mm. as assigned. You know, that, that's kind of the example, like reading Lord of the Flies to the end. <laughs> I'm gonna you know run some more <laughs> equations and you know find out what the function is that fits this. Um, so it, it, yeah, I, th- I think we move into that at, at some point. Um, but but take take on each of those letters in separate broadcasts because I you know I would argue that the S in STEM is neglected. We talk a lot about the T, right? You know, um, yeah. The the T is subversive. I mean, I think the T <laughs> is is probably the bane of our existence. But surely there's value. Is there's even value in the technology? You know, at you know, it's, it's quite, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe not. But um, um, there, there has to be, there has to be a reevaluation of how we look at things, how we assess things, how we value things, and STEM undermines that. And so, um, and there needs to be, yeah, there need there, there needs to be a change in how we do things in this regard. So. Um, Maybe we'll just have like an episode just on the the, the virtues of history or the virtues of German, uh, you know, or whatever the case may be. Wouldn't that be fun to do? 
Um, it's all fun. Uh, I'd also yeah. like to see you try to make an argument for STEM. Um, you know, as, as an intellectual exercise, you know, hear Miller, you know, advocating for STEM. That would be fun. It's like the rabbis of old. If you can't come up with at least a hundred ways why God doesn't exist, then maybe you wouldn't make a good rabbi. So it's kind of that kind of idea. You know, it's good to have that kind of contrarian uh, mindset sometimes. You're, you're definitely contrarian here, Miller. <laughs> well, are you off to grill hot dogs? Um, that, that's in my future tomorrow. I, I, I might clean the grill today. Uh, actually, who am I kidding? I never clean the grill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. um, it adds to the flavor. So that's right. But but yes, <laughs> I'll be making uh, hot dogs tomorrow and watching the great Joey Chestnut. Chicago dogs? Uh, no, no, no. I'm I'm not going <laughs> to do that. I don't think I have the tomatoes or those those sports peppers or that blue relish. <laughs> Um, just, just more... blue. it's like aquamarine. <laughs> it's like algae. I mean, like bioluminescent algae is what that's, what that crap looks like on a hot dog. So well, it's, it's exciting stuff though, because you don't <laughs> eat it on any other food, but the, the Chicago dog, <laughs> but we love the people of Chicago. It's a oh, fine city. Yeah. yeah. I like being up there. It's good stuff. Yes. They have some very strange ideas, but otherwise very fine people. <laughs> I <laughs> no, was the butt in there. <laughs> All right, Herr Dr. Bourgeois, have a great 4th of July, and we will see you next week. Next week it is. Thank you, Herr Miller. It's been a pleasure. All right. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen.